You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your number one source for discussions about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Now, get ready for a new episode of Vol Basketball Fever. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, joined by Gene Henley here for another episode of the show. Thank you all so much for tuning in. It's been a while since we've got an actual episode of the show. Uh, lately, it's been uh, me having a couple interviews here and there, but Gene, it's been a couple weeks since you and I have sat down to do a podcast together. I'm very excited to, to do it with you because we have a lot to talk about uh, since we last spoke. We last thing we talked about was uh, Julian Phillips and Toby Awaka and Tennessee looking for a point guard transfer. Well, since then, uh, Tennessee's main point guard target has announced his decision is not coming to Tennessee. Tennessee added another 2022 prospect and also got a commitment from a 23 kid. So we'll talk about all of that along with a couple of guys returning uh, from the NBA draft, I guess, consideration that are coming back for Tennessee this year. Grant Williams in the NBA finals. We have a lot to cover. We may not get at all of that, but we'll, we'll get to most of it here in just a minute. But again, I want to say thank you all to all of you who are watching or listening at home or at the gym, or at work, or wherever you may be, uh, driving somewhere. Thank you so much if you're listening to the podcast, if you're watching the video here on YouTube. Again, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Give this video a like if you're on YouTube, and share it, and subscribe if you haven't to the channel already. Uh, We'll hopefully have a couple more interviews and stuff coming up with coaches and players in the near future. But for now, Gene, let's get into an episode here of the podcast. Again, it's been a couple weeks, a lot to talk about. The biggest one is the commitment and I guess signing actually within the same, within basically an hour of his, his commitment announcement of four-star DJ Jefferson. He was at Minnesota prep Academy. He kind of came on strong. I was able to go talk to his head coach at Minnesota prep. So I'll put a card in the top right hand corner here on YouTube. If you're watching to go listen to that interview with uh, his head coach at Minnesota prep, Lucas Patterson that talked about kind of his ceiling. It's he thinks he has a very high ceiling. I think looking at his film, um, Gene, he really intrigues me as a wing. Uh, does DJ Jefferson? He's a guy who has really exceptional leaping ability. Um, he's a guy that, according to his head coach, was actually before he came to Minnesota Prep. I want to say he was originally from Texas, and they had him playing as an undersized four because of his athleticism. That's kind of a six-five guy uh, playing as an undersized four at that school. Came to Minnesota Prep and played more on the wing and they, they taught him some more, you know, things about playing on the wing was specifically on defense. Cause his offense, he, you know, was already pretty versatile there, but playing on defense. And I, I think Jefferson's going to be interesting. I don't know that he's a guy that I am foreseeing coming in and making a, you know, massive impact in year one, but I think he's a guy who is just really kind of starting to scratch the surface of his potential. And I think he has a lot of potential. He's a guy that I hope sticks around for Tennessee and doesn't, you know, if he doesn't get a lot of playing time this year, decides to transfer because I think he's a guy that, again, has a lot of potential. And I think we talked about it last time we did a podcast, Gene, where if it's basically going to come down to him and Jabai Meshack kind of for that position because they both play similar positions and are both built pretty similarly. And it's going to come down to does Jabai make that leap on offense uh, this year and, and you know, is able to kind of, I guess, maybe catapult himself into the following season as a role, or does DJ Jefferson come in and already kind of outwork him, outpace him on offense, and eventually can maybe outpace him defensively? I, I, I think that'll be interesting to watch. Maybe not as much this year, but maybe next year. But you know, Gene DJ Jefferson to me is a guy that 
uh, was a late kind of late spring really started coming on a fast riser really blew up at the Iverson classic, uh, got a four star ranking on, I think most services I know on three gave him a four star ranking. I want to say two or seven also did when they updated their stuff as well. Uh, but he's a kid that Gene, I, I think could potentially be a steal for Tennessee again, assuming that he is, you know, stays happy with, with the situation. If he doesn't play much this year and doesn't transfer out, I think he's a kid that personality wise and everything from what his coach said, seems to be also the type of guy that, Mark Barnes and the staff also really like, but I like the big up and Gene that leaves Tennessee's one more spot, which we'll get to in a second. But uh, this has been a, you know, from going for BJ Edwards as the only signee in the uh, 22 class for the longest time. Now suddenly you end up adding Julian Phillips, DJ Jefferson, and more than likely Tobey Awaka to the group. Um, also, you know, bringing in Tyreek Key as a transfer. It goes from a, 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 a kind of a, I won't say disappointment, but like a, a, a not super heralded 22 class. All of a sudden, now nah, there's some pretty strong pieces you're bringing in in this 22 class. Right. And uh, I'm sorry for anybody that may have heard me make a sound in the midst of this, but I just noticed that uh, Malachi Smith just committed to Gonzaga in, in the middle of him saying that. So uh, sorry if anybody just heard me say in the middle of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you look at the pieces they've added, and uh, I don't know much. I mean, like you look at what Julian Phillips and uh, DJ. I'm literally typing all these names in right now as we speak. Like you, you look at what these pieces have. Uh, um, real quick, the thing like they are at two, eleven scholarships, or am I uh, am I missing somebody here? Yeah, assuming Awaka is in the twenty-two. Okay, class. that's the yeah, kid. If you put yeah, him in twenty-two, the then they're at they're at twelve. Gotcha. So I just wanted to make. I like to have a working list with, uh, in the off season, so I know when we get to the inevitable point in the summer where we start saying what could this team be. Uh, I want to make sure I have the whole roster in front of me. Um, yeah, gotta love the additions. Um, Gotta love what they're trying to do. Like you, you look and like this is what two, three consecutive years where the recruiting class that you you see in November is not the recruiting class that you ultimately have. Uh, and, and I think that's and I think that's good because that's where we are right now, where you don't really worry too much about recruiting during the season because I mean, you know, you know how you recruit now. You just watch college basketball. You watch Ben Major basketball. You fall down the rabbit hole of saying, you know, of watching some random Indiana State game, saying, "Man, that guy's got that guy's from Tennessee, right? <laughs> He's a good player. He could he could end up helping." And then you look, you know, that's because that's essentially what Tennessee's done with their recruiting. They're like, okay, you look for distressed assets. Tyree Key, um, kid who, you know, obviously. Probably would have loved, uh, I don't know, I don't read all the stories, but probably grew up knowing at least enough about Tennessee to say I wouldn't mind going there if they offered. It took a few, it took four extra years and a lot of points scored at, in Indiana, but he's hit, but he's there now. Uh, Distress asset, Julian Phillips, kid who you know obviously was recruited by the staff, um, but, you know, was not going to come here. You know, you get them on the back end, you know, distress access asset because of a fire coach. And here we are. And then DJ Jefferson, another kid who, you know, who I think is going to kind of have maybe a Ziegler like impact because these kids who kind of come on late 
uh, I, I feel like I, I could be way off on this, but I, the kids who come on late ultimately have the potential to end up being pretty good. It may take a year because look at Olivia Kamwa. That was a kid they got late uh, three years ago. Uh, you know, I guess he's the only one that's currently on the roster that, that would apply to because uh, Tomba, you know, who just committed to Weber State. That was a kid who reclassified. Brandon Huntley Hatfield reclassified. Well, I, mean, I think you may have said Arvid Ziegler. I mean, he came on late, more or less, too. Yeah, and then I hadn't mentioned him yet, but yeah, I was. Mm-hmm. That's what I was leading at. It's like you look, and that's a kid who came who came on, and like it, it's there's a hunger that exists with those kids because maybe they've always felt overlooked. Here comes their opportunity, and here come you know here comes that one big tournament. Here come all the big schools. You come in and like it, like the grind, like as kids say, the grind doesn't stop. It's only started, and so I, I like I like these kids who have, you know, specifically the seniors. Like, hmm. I mean, the kids who have reclassified, we'll see about those kids. Um, it has not worked out well so far for mo- a lot of kids. I think who have reclassified. I mean, not just specifically at Tennessee. I mean, Kentucky struggled with it. Schools all across the country are struggling with these kids who reclassify. But the kids who are seniors and it's like April of their senior year, they don't have a clue where they're going, and they blow up one big weekend during the live period. Like those are hungry kids. So those are the kids that I'm kind of, I'm, you know, I'll be interested to see. So like that's where Jefferson applies. Um, you know, like so I like I like the addition. Like as you look at this roster, you kind of feel like a dude is going to be a good piece uh, with what he can do. How does that work with Olivier? Where does Euros fit in with that? Uh, so you've got a little bit of size there. You've got enough to play a couple different ways. Uh, I think the more and more, yes, you watch this this roster. Uh, how fluid the construction of this roster has been since, you know, first of April, then now all of a sudden you're looking at it. Okay. You start to daydream, like what could this team be? And uh, like, I think a lot of what they could be will, will be contingent on the development of those, of their last two additions, because if they can, if they can give you something more different than what you currently have, then you could be special because all it takes is one or two of those kids. And I'm a big, big proponent of experienced guards in March because that's who wins. And that's where that's where Vescovy comes in. That's where Josiah comes in. So I'm loving what they're trying to do here at the very end. And I don't care if it takes till April 15th for them to figure out this roster. As long as the thing is, you know, ready and this team is like connected by November, they've got a lot of potential to be really good next year. Well, you kind of are leading into where I was wanting to go next, uh, looking, you know, beyond just the recent edition of Jefferson, and again, you know, kind of filling out the class. You have you already mentioned uh, Santi and Josiah both coming back. We'll, we'll get to both those guys in a second, pulling their names out of the NBA draft consideration and returning to Tennessee for their senior seat, or I guess fourth years that it's hard to <laughs> with COVID and with red shirts and stuff like that. It's hard to it's really call it a senior year, I guess, but their fourth season at Tennessee. Um, but we'll get to them in a second, which you talked about having experienced backcourts and experienced guards and how that helps you win in March. Um, and that's something that, you know, Tennessee right now, the point guard position doesn't have, you have a, a, a Sakai Ziegler who will be a sophomore. You have a BJ Edwards, who's a true freshman. We've seen Tennessee go after a couple different guys 
uh, and the transfer portal at point guard, whether it was Yuri Collins, who ultimately decided to stay at St. Louis, or this most recent one, uh, and Tyrese Hunter, who Tennessee was really battling with uh, Texas and Kansas for, and then really seemed like it came down to Tennessee and Texas, and then ultimately he chose Texas. Uh, so Tennessee missed out on him. I've heard, you know, there's been talks and stuff about Courtney Ramey, who was from Texas and is transferring out of Texas, was in the NBA draft consideration as well. And he took his name out and is now, you know, I guess kind of had been already on the open market, but it was kind of going through the process of NBA draft stuff. But now can fully, I guess, focus on the transfer portal and on the transfer process. We'll be interested to see kind of if Tennessee gets any traction. I mean, there's, I guess, traction, but, you know, kind of if Tennessee really has a, a foothold there or not, or if they just kind of have a, a hat on the table, it's not really a, a big, you know, consideration or not. But Gene, I, there's been so much talk. I've seen a message boards. I've seen on Twitter about, you know, Tennessee pursuing a, a point guard and that this is the final missing piece to take Tennessee from a, a preseason top 15 expectations to a top 10, maybe even top five expectations of, of getting that, that final point guard piece of that experienced point guard. I think it's worth having a conversation kind of about that position for Tennessee because I think some people maybe are discounting that they say we need someone that's like a, an experienced point guard who's like a Kennedy Chandler well maybe I mean Chandler's a freshman you know what I'm saying like a guy who can more better replace the production that Kennedy Chandler is leaving behind I mean, you know I don't expect someone to come in and average 14 points a game and shoot 38 percent from three and average almost five assists per game like Chandler did last year Hoover's left in the transfer market right now and at the point guard position but I think a lot of people are don't want to trust Ziegler as the number one option at point guard um, and see him as a, you know, he's undersized, but while he's been fantastic and really overperformed considering, you know, expectations for him preseason last year, that he's maybe better as the number two option as a point guard and can be better as that second point guard on the floor. When you have a, a three guard set out there, or I guess really a four guard set. When you go, when you go small ball lineup and you have Ziegler, or another point guard and Vesca be out there along with James, and then you're, you're five. But Gene, I think that's, you'd think people maybe would learn not to discount Ziegler after a year, but it's easy to kind of, we've talked about on this, the show before, it's easy to kind of get enamored with the new shiny toy and look at what, what can you bring in that's new? What's the new thing? I understand the concerns about handing the reins over to Ziegler and obviously with the coaching staff pursuing all these veteran point guards, I think, you know, they themselves, maybe they don't feel comfortable with it, but I, I think it's worth, I want to want to talk with you about it as someone who has, you know, years of playing experience and just your basketball mind in general, you know, how much of a hesitancy would you have from what you saw from Ziegler this past year? And with knowing, you know, this will be his this first full actual off season with Tennessee. He didn't join this, this program until August of last year. And he didn't have a full off season last year with this program because of that and came in late all this different stuff. And then he, of course was competing with a, a, one of the, the top point guards in the country last year in Kennedy Chandler. And we saw, you know, how much he improved as the year went on too, but he already was showing some flashes early in the season and practices uh, Ziegler was, but Gene, as from your basketball minds, how much of a hesitancy, hesitancy would you have handing the reins over to Ziegler and him being just your, your PG one without bringing in another guy uh, and having him be PG one and then having, you know, BJ Edwards be your backup. Cause I, I to me, it's it maybe, maybe isn't as much of the hesitancy to have Ziegler as your starting point guard, as it is relying on maybe BJ Edwards being your backup. But I also, again, I think people maybe are discounting Edwards a little bit because you've talked about him on this podcast before, and you've liked a lot of what you've seen that we, you get to see Edwards, you know, in person and, and, and stuff. So, I mean, maybe people are just kind of discounting Tennessee's young point guards, but I also understand the concern there because again, I, 
if unless you ha- you don't really usually want to have a first and second year player as your point guard options. Last year was an exception because you had an outstanding freshman in Kennedy Chandler, but for the most part, you don't normally want young, you know, sophomore freshmen to be your point guard options. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it because I I can kind of see both sides in this argument, to be honest. Right. So I think the biggest thing, like I've watched when, as you look at what they've done in recruiting is I don't think they're trying to recruit. I don't, I never thought they were really trying to recruit over Ziegler as much as they were trying to recruit maybe a change of pace Mm. to Ziegler like you know like if you look um he and Chandler were similar but not alike and like when you watch them play that like uh, there wasn't a ton of there wasn't a ton of drop-off when they were there Mm -hmm. and and so I all but I also understand I also remember you and I having these podcasts in January where like there were so many people that were frustrated with the state of affairs of the team and a lot of that comes with handing the reins of your point guard position over to a fr- not just one freshman, but two true freshmen, not red shirts, none of that, like two freshmen. So it's good, you know, in terms of recruiting to go get another guy. Like, look, I understand they've got that. I Look, I'm the first to say I think that B.J. Edwards is being undersold and like underappreciated, undervalued. Um in this recruiting class, but you also, you want to make sure that you've got three guys prepared and like the, you know, bringing another guard in now gives you the option to not necessarily have to play Vescovy who's better, not as a point guard uh, at point. Like I think he did a little bit earlier in the year until Chandler and Ziegler just really just wrestled wrestled it away from him which is i think what they wanted mm-hmm. and, and so like i'm so for me personally i look at what ziegler's done and i'm like this guy's got a body of work to suggest that he's that he could do it like i guess the only knock the only knock that i would have is the fact the kid is five nine and asking that kid to play 30 something minutes potentially 25 to 30 minutes as a prime as like the primary guard because um, like you have multiple guys who can, you know, obviously handle it and bring the ball up court. All this, that, the other Edwards, Vescovy, Josiah. We'll see what the two new the two new freshmen do. Edwards, obviously, not counting him, but the other two freshmen, Phillips and Jefferson. We'll see what they can do because Tennessee wants to play fast. So more people that can grab grab a rebound and just take off and go. Um, that's what you want, but I, I just. Like, I think that it, it it looks to me like, I guess, you want to have that extra body in there. I don't think that you're recruiting over Ziegler. I think you're trying to compliment him however you can. Like, a lot of what they did last year was just two tough, two tough hard-nosed freshmen, one from Memphis, one from New York, and just say, just go in here and just battle. Not in a negative way, but just go battle and compete. Because that's what a lot of this stuff in sports is about now. It's like you're trying to bring in the top level of competition so you can just compete. And you can have guys who may not have the star ranking of other guys. See Ziegler, see Chandler. The star rankings don't matter as much as or do you have two guys who are willing to go in there and fight for every minute they're going to get. 
Uh, and so, like, you got it. You know, when you look at this year, if you can bring in another guy who has some experience who can kind of um, push Ziegler to continue to be better, I see nothing wrong with that. Like, and so we'll see if they bring somebody else in or if they just kind of, you know, kick it at this 12 um, with, with the open scholarship. I, 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 it's obviously, you know, we're at June, it's June 2nd now. Uh, I mean, they've been handing out that one scholarship, you know, left and right. Kids just aren't taking it. You know, so I don't think they necessarily want to hold it. Like, if you've got it, like, you'd probably much rather use it on a guard in this guard-driven era Mm -hmm. of basketball than go out and get another big. Because you do have a few of those guys. You've got a 6'8 guy in Olivier. You've got, uh, obviously, Euros. You've got, obviously, Jonas Adu. That's three guys with experience that you've got in that position. Then we'll see if a walker, if he decides to come on, on board, this year, which obviously there's a lot of reports that that make that you know seem to be the case, that would give you four guys. So if you're going to use that last position, you've got wings all over the place. Tyree Key, uh, B.J. Edwards can probably slide over. We'll see what Mayshack develops into. Vescovy, James, Phillips, Jefferson. You've got tons of those. So if you're going to use that last scholarship, use it on a guard. But I don't think it's necessarily we're going to find somebody better because – that kid was pretty good last year. So I don't know if you're going to find better, but you at least need to find somebody who can compete with him. And along with, obviously, with B.J. Edwards, too. Like, the, let those three battle it out for the minutes that are going to be allocated uh, for next season. Yeah, I, I, I think that's kind of the way I was leaning to is, I I guess you, I, I hadn't really put it until his words in my brain, but you were right. Like, the, the change of pace is more what I would want from point guard. I think you're right. That I think that's been more kind of what uh, the staff has been recruiting and looking for is more of a change of pace type of guy. And I would love to be, love it to be Courtney Ramey. I'd love it to be anybody. Cause I, I agree with you. I don't, I just don't think you, you are, you and I were talking about this before we started recording here. I, I just think the merit of holding on to a, a scholarship for the next year is, is gone now. Like I don't, I don't think there's a reason to do that anymore with the way the transfer portal is. I, I think in years past, you look, you look even four or five years ago, you know, if Tennessee was when this in this situation, they missed out on, you know, a lot of the point guard guys they've been going after. You maybe say, Hey man, it's better just to hold on to the, the scholarships, you know, the scholarship for next year and try to get a guy in the recruiting, you know, in the, I guess in recruiting next year and just hold on to that spot because you're better off, you know, kind of waiting and seeing what you can get in, um, I guess in kind of the spring signing class rather than, you know, maybe, or maybe even the fall and then try to pull in a guy right now that, you know, maybe isn't going to be um, as significant of a contributor this year. But honestly, I, with the way the transfer portal is now, I don't, I don't see the merit in holding on to, an, a, you know, keeping a spot open because you're going to have spots come open or you can even encourage spots to come open. Like Tennessee's done. Like a lot of the departures haven't been just guys wanting to leave because, they wanted to lose themselves. There's, there's been mutual parting of ways. There's been discussions of, Hey, you know, I think, you know, I know this, you know, I know my, one of my assistants or, you know, we have a guy over here. We you can go over to like, there's been encouragement and that's not a bad thing. It's, it's also with looking out for the player of their best interest and saying, Hey, you can get more playing time here. You're a, you're a good fit here. This will be somewhere you can thrive and shine. So it's not all like, you know, underhanded. Oh, we don't, you know, we need this spot open. How can we encourage these guys to leave and, us not look like the bad guys. That's also a, Hey, we, you know, you deserve more playing time than what you're getting here. 
go somewhere else. So I just don't think, yeah, I, I think they will find a way to fill that, that last scholarship spot in this 22 cycle. I don't know how they'll do it at this point. I don't, again, I don't have any info on Courtney Ramey. I've, I, there was a name, there's a team that people had mentioned before with him and I've already forgotten who it was. I don't, for some reason, NC state's pop in my head, but it could be baseball related as opposed to basketball. I don't know. Um, but I don't ultimately know where he ends up. I don't, I mean, Tennessee, there's guys that withdrew from draft consideration right now that, you know, that just happens. Like there's other point guards out there that were technically in the field of the draft that could be names to watch out for. There are other guys who that you just mentioned as we're on the call here doing this recording, Gene, Malachi Smith, he's been, been a name out there for a long time. He finally just committed to Gonzaga. Like that was a name that's been mentioned for a long time. A guy who's been you know out of UTC for a while, obviously again, going through the draft process was focused on that and maybe not as much in the transfer, but you know, now today, June 2nd made his decision this month of June. We're, we're in the, we're in recruiting era now where June, July, and August are still recruiting months for your upcoming season. Not, not for the, the next cycle, but for your upcoming season, for your roster, for the upcoming year, June, July, and August are still months you can use to find guys to add to your roster for the upcoming year. So Tennessee did it last year again with, uh, not just the guys either, but they added some guys like, I think, might have been around this time last year Tomba committed. I don't I don't remember exactly when Tomba announced he was committing and, and reclassifying. Obviously he didn't play for Tennessee, but he still was added to the roster for last year. Sometime in the late spring, early summer. I don't remember exactly when. Uh, but Tennessee's deluge of additions last year started in late April and went into May. So I mean it's not too far off from where it was last year too. So to me, I just think Tennessee is going to use that last spot. Just a matter of who and what and how, but I agree with you, Gene. I think it needs to be a guard because I think you're fine at, at post. You don't need as much post depth nowadays as you do guard depth. I think Tennessee's okay at post. You have a guy, even in Julian Phillips, who I think plays more of a three, who can still have as a four, but be a maybe and Merck Barnes's offense, be less of a traditional four, more of a, a hybrid four we'll, we'll see just because of his skill set but i still think he's more of a wing as you as you said too and as we talked about last podcast um but again you, you have guys returning like Camwa and urosh and adu who i feel like as long as those guys are healthy which is kind of a bit i mean that's a little bit of an if because Camwa again had the injury this past year um adu was sick and, and injured i think earlier in the year last year too so maybe maybe i, I just don't I, I think with you bringing in toby awaka as well who i assume will reclassify to the 22 class He's, that's another body. That's, that's a fourth option there who, again, you probably don't want to have to rely on him much this upcoming year, but he's a guy you have on the roster who, you, again, you didn't think after a certain point you were going to need Jonas Adu, and then you ended up having to rely on him late in the year because of um, Kamwa's injury. So you never know with injuries, but uh, Gene, I agree with you. I think that last spot should go to a guard. Um, I don't know who it's going to be or what, but um, I, I want to talk about, again, we had mentioned kind of the shiny new toy and that being whoever Tennessee brings in at the last spot versus the returning products or returning product on the court, returning players to the team. We'd mentioned Vescovy and James coming back that I don't think that can be like, it was expected, but it's still, Gene, I don't think you can be, you know, I always get the words confused under understated, overstated, whatever enough about how important getting those two guys back for this upcoming season was again, it was expected that both would go to the, the, draft process and come back but sometimes i mean things don't always go as, as planned so it was nice to see that both of them you know announced they're coming back to tennessee vescovy you're you're leading three-point shooter last year uh james you're do-it-all guy you're leading rebounder actually which is also kind of surprising and, and 
cool that a 6'6 guy was your leading rebounder when you had a 6'8 and a 7-footer playing significant minutes for you last year. Um, but you can look at the roster. I want to I want to talk a little bit specifically about James here in a second. If you look at the roster, you obviously you lose Kennedy Chandler, your top scorer, your, your leading assister, and um, one of your best three-point shooters and the guy who led you in steals. You're losing him, but then outside of that, you're returning four of your top five starters, your best three-point shooter, your top rebounder, uh, your guy who is second in assists in Vescovy, and actually third in assists in Ziegler, uh, and your best two steal guys with steals per game behind Chandler. Chandler had 2.2 per game, and both Vescovy and Ziegler had 1.7. So you're still returning four of your five best players, essentially, from last year. And again, that's counting Kamwa, who was hurt. But again, if he's healthy, uh, I'm expecting him to take another step forward. But I want to talk about James, Gene, because you and I both are big Josiah Jordan James fans. Anyone who's listened to this podcast knows that you and I are um, have been high on James for a while, and we're both. I think both of us were very felt very justified and happy that <laughs> he started having the success he had at the end of the year. But that leads me to my question of: so looking at this upcoming season and kind of you know looking at expectations of players, I think we know what we're going to get from Vescovy. He's a guy who can drop 13, 14, 15 a game, will shoot high 30s, low 40s from three, uh, like he did this past year. And just, you know, as long as he can play off ball, that's what I fully expect from him consistently um, for the season. But James was a guy who started out, you know, his first couple of years had injury issues. Uh, I think he just, just was trying to find his game, trying to find what, he, you know, trying to, I guess, trying to mold himself a little bit into college. It also didn't have a great supporting cast. We first got to Tennessee, then there's the COVID year. And then this past year, started out slow from three, especially. Um, but again, his defense rebounding, I've always been there. But then Gene, kind of down the stretch in the last, really in conference play, but really the last month of the season, I'm going to look at kind of two different data sets here. Uh, looking at his last 16 games of the season for him, including um, you know postseason play for him there. Looking at his last, I think 16 games, is that where I had it? Um Pull back from it might have been. Let me see here. Yeah, his last 16 games of the season, uh, starting from that Texas road game, where he, I think he was three of seven from three in that game and had a double digit scoring. But starting from that game, his last 16 games of the season, Gene, 13.7 points, shot 38.6% from three, 6.2 rebounds, two assists, and a steal and a half per game, uh, and about 32 minutes per game. If you narrow that down even further and look at what he did in the last nine games of the season, which started at the at, with the Auburn game at home where Tennessee won that one, uh, he had double digits in that one. You look at the last nine games that he played, or excuse me, eight games that he played, um, counting that one and then counting the, the, you know, the SEC tournament, the NCAA tournament, he averaged 14.6 points per game, shot 44% from three, 7.3 rebounds, almost three assists, and again, a steal and a half in 33 minutes per game. Gene, I, I'm not ex- I don't expect James to be a guy who goes out and scores 14, 15 points a game next season and, and is still able to shoot 40% from three. But I'm curious, like what what are like what should we be expecting from him? Because it seems like it seems like he kind of gets off to slower starts. That just kind of maybe is his mo. Uh, and you look at his first three years at Tennessee. I think if I compared his first, you know. First half of the season, second half of the season, it seems like I think he just kind of gets better as the year goes on, as long as he's been able to avoid injury. But Gene, is is what he did in that final month of the year, is that what we should be expecting from him, you know, for this season in his fourth year? Is that just consistently what we should be expecting from Josiah and, and moving forward? Or 
should we have you know a little bit more timber decks? I, I'm just curious your thoughts because again we've talked about Josiah a lot on this podcast, and he's been a target of fan. I don't say vitriol. He's been he's been a target of fan discussion for a long time, and I think finally fans this past year, a lot of them turned the corner on him uh, positively because hey he was starting to produce and hey he was starting to kind of you know do what maybe people were expecting him to do that really that, that three point shooting was what really stood out and made him took him to another level. Is that going to be the case this upcoming season? Or was that a byproduct of the fact you had Kennedy Chandler as a point guard who, you know, could drive to the lane and, and could shoot threes himself and was kind of a product of the roster? Because I look at this upcoming season, Julian Phillips and Tyreek He both are, are capable of driving to the bucket, drawing fouls and, and, you know, being able to get finish at the rim, which means they can drive the bucket and kick it back out to a guy like Josiah or Santi to shoot threes. But I I, I would love to see obviously love it to see this type of production from Josiah uh, when he comes back in for his fourth year. But I just don't want to, I don't know if that's fair to expect him to be a, a guy who averages 13, 14 points and then is still getting six, seven rebounds and is shooting 40 something percent from three, because those aren't, those aren't easy numbers to sustain uh, every for 30 something games in a season. So the, didn't he average like seven rebounds a game the year before? He's been pretty consistent with his. Re- he's, he's been in the high fives. I want to say. Let me look at his over, overall stats. Yeah, his. So his first year he averaged five and a half. His second year was six and a half, and this past year was six. So he's been in that five and a half to six and a half rebound per game range all, all his entire career. So, I asked that question because the biggest change. Uh, that I saw when I had a chance to watch Tennessee play was just the aggression that he played with, like in terms of just not passing up open looks. And I think that's going to be huge for him in terms, in terms of him taking that next step is just being that person from day one. So when you, uh, sorry, I'm looking, I'm looking right now at at these stats. It, It seems as though the biggest change that, that has existed has been uh, it's in it's in, it's in the shots. Like I'm looking at a game here. I mean, people were pissed off about his two for twelve, and it was yeah you know, against Texas Tech, a five of eleven. And so you know, you start and then you start seeing the shots go in, and it seems like in earlier years he wouldn't even take those shots. I think that was probably perhaps maybe the more the more frustrating thing is that he would do a lot of the work, but he wouldn't take the shots. So one, two, three, four. So in the 2020-21 season, he only attempted 10 shots four times. Uh, in the 19-20 season, he only attempted 10 shots one, two, three, four, four times. Last year he did it uh, certainly a lot more. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen times. And so once you like once the averages start play, working themselves out, then you start to figure out, oh, okay, well what is this kid? Because that's been the, the biggest change is that like the averages, like, if he maintains the averages while being aggressive, he's gonna average more. He's gonna score more. Uh so I don't expect that to change because I think this this aggression that he's played with I think that's who he is now. I, I do. Um, now, the open shots may look differently because at this point, 
as we talk on June 2nd, they've only got one really true creator. Maybe some, maybe Edwards is the second person there from what we, the roster that we're looking at now, but there's only one true creator because he got a lot of wide open threes, a lot of wide open Mm -hmm. threes. Mm -hmm. And will all of those same shots exist next year, next season? I don't know. But and if those shots aren't there, can he? Because he still has the size to go to go get those shots, you know, to get the mid range shots. Not everything has to be a wide open three. Like I, there, there's always this narrative that like the game of basketball has changed to just jacking up a ton of threes, 40, 45 threes. The game, like some of the best teams at the highest level of basketball, are looking for best shots. Now, I mean, like you watch the Golden State Warriors. Uh, yeah, they have two of the greatest shooters to ever grace the planet, but they're not always just out there shooting threes. They're just very special at it. And so, like, there is there is a value in taking mid-range threes, and Josiah is very good at getting to his spots and taking those shots. Uh, I think Vescovy's good at that, too. But But as it pertains to Josiah, I see no reason to think that there would not be more of what we we've seen in the past because I mean I'm sorry what more than more of what we saw last year because I mean like that player doesn't just leave if that makes any sense like that player doesn't isn't just going to go away now like that mindset is not going to go away now it may be difficult early in the season to figure out its spots because again the roster doesn't look the same. Fulkerson had a special spot in that rotation mm-hmm. on that team. Uh, you know, like even even a guy whose impact was largely minimal in Huntley Hatfield. That, you know, I think Olivier, you know, occupies some of that same space. So I don't think there's going to be much of a change there. But I mean, also his uh, the emergence of Josiah also kind of coincided some with Olivier being on too. So how does mm-hmm. that work now? And so, like, I, I don't think that that changes. I mean, I think this is a kid who is whatever it takes for the team type player, which is an admiral player. But um, does this team need him to be that same aggressive person? I think they do. And if and if he doesn't believe that they need that they need it, how long will it take for Barnes and that staff to get him to understand? No, no, we need that guy that we saw in January and February and March last season. We need that guy. That guy led us to a championship. That guy got us a championship in the, in the tournament. That's who we need. We don't need you to, you know, to revert back to one of those first two years. And so I think there's going to be more shooting because obviously what people, uh, like the work that that kid put in, in terms of his three point shot last off season is admirable. Uh, I think so. I think we're going to see an, an an even more improved shot because now he's gotten some NBA feedback. So they're telling him what he needs to work on. So whatever whatever he needs to work on, which is probably that shot, being more consistent, being more aggressive, you're going to see more of that. Because if NBA is his goal, he can't start slow, especially if, if they're because I I feel like the, probably the the knock on the kid is that he's not all he sometimes is not aggressive consistently. So you can't, in turn, start the season off lacking aggression. 
because that just feeds into what they're saying about you. So I think you may see an over, an aggressive kid from day one, and that can only benefit Tennessee, especially as they're going to have to try to figure out this point guard position um, regardless, like regardless of who else comes in or if nobody else comes in. They're going to have to figure out how these minutes are going to get allocated because you know some stuff. Vescovy, Josiah, uh, Adu is a good player. You know some of that stuff. But there's still some questions there, too, in terms of how these minutes are going to get out there between Ziegler and Key and, uh, and Edwards and maybe a new kid. So you're going to need the guys like Vescovy and Josiah to really be leaders and be aggressive while the other pieces are trying to sort themselves out. Yeah, I think aggression, that, that's a word that you said multiple times. And I think that's that's a key for me this upcoming season because I, I know from talking with Tyree Key here on the show, and I know from talking with Julian Phillips, head coach at Link Academy, that both of those guys, they didn't lack for, for aggression. You know, Phillips, is, as, as a high school player, Key, is, is, his entire career at Indiana State, like those guys were not afraid to attack the basket. Key, again, showed in college that he can do it. He, he averaged five, six free throw attempts per game. He's a guy that was a six, three bowling ball, um, more or less out there that, you know, he said himself that he likes drawing out contact. He likes seeking contact. He, again, and that mindset kind of reminds me of, you know, a few years ago with the Admiral Schofields and the Grant Williams and those guys that, uh, more, more Grant that, you know, was not afraid of contact would, would not shall we, you know, Phillips is six, three or not Phillips, excuse me. He's six, three. He's not going to be a, a guy in down the post like Grant was and doing spin moves and all that stuff, but he's a guy that can drive to the basket and isn't isn't afraid of contact. Phillips is talented enough to go drive to the basket and use spin moves and different stuff to go out. He, he's obviously built very differently than Grant uh, was and is, but both those guys, I fully expect Gene to be more aggressive than what Tennessee had this past year. Cause I think that was a good point. Like James still didn't attack the basket. Like how I would love to have seen him do on a consistent basis, but he did it more as the year went on. As you said, like, that's reflected too in his field goal attempts. Not because not all of those were from three. Uh, he did have a lot of games where he shot five, six, seven three-point attempts, but he had more games too where he finally, after the first half of the year, stopped settling for threes and went more mid-range, and then and then also did do things around the basket. Um, but aside from him and, and Kennedy Chandler, Tennessee didn't have a. I mean, and Ziegler would try, but it's harder to do when you're five nine, and that was also reflected in his his two-point shooting field goal percentage was. Um, not super high, but um, Tennessee didn't have a whole lot of really aggressive players that were able to go and finish out the rim last year. This year, I think you're going to have more, and I think you made a really good point about James. I think if he continues to still be that aggressive that we we saw him in the last month of the year, then yeah, that, those numbers are sustainable. And with the number of shots he can keep putting up, but again, how many of those shots are going to be there? Because like you said, I think a lot of that coincided too with Olivia going down. Um, now you're going to have Phillips taking away shots. You're going to have Key taking away shots. Um, Cam Wah's back, and he's going to be taking away shots. You're going to have Bescovy, who's going to, I mean, you better be getting Bescovy for the most part, you know, at least 10 attempts per game. Um, he averaged 10 last year, uh, and Chandler averaged 11 and a half, but you, you better be getting Bescovy his looks because he's your best scorer. Like, there's no other question about it. He's, he's Tennessee's best scorer. Um, he's been Tennessee's best scorer the last couple of years, for the most part, uh, but finally this past year really got to be more off ball and do it. Obviously, Candy Chandler led the team in scoring, but most of the season, Vescu is the one leading the team in scoring. It wasn't until Chandler kind of really came on strong in the last few weeks of the season that he overtook him. It wasn't by a whole lot. Uh, 13.9 points per game for Chandler, 13.3 for uh, Vescu. But I think 
James is, has been and will be the X factor for Tennessee. He, he was the X factor kind of last year. You looked at when he had his more successful games, Tennessee tended to have success themselves. Uh, this year, I think it's going to be the same thing. I think if James can be the aggressive guy and can be, he's always been a great glue guy. He's always been a great do it all player, but really it's like you said, the aggression that we saw from him the last month that really kind of changed things for him and took his game to another level and and the confidence. I mean, he was a guy that was, would shoot threes and look like they were going to go in. I mean, every single time he shot it, you thought that three is going in, which was nothing, which was never a thought I had about him in his first two and a half years at Tennessee. Now that he was a horrible three point shooter his first couple of years, but it wasn't amazing. Uh, you look at his first, his first year was good. He was 36 and a half percent from three. And in fact, in conference play that, that year, he shot 42.6% from three in the regular season. But then you look at the second year, only 30, basically 31% from three, uh, again, COVID year. This past year, if you look at just the base number, 32.4, doesn't look amazing. But then you look at the conference play where he shot 33%. Then you look at the SEC tournament and the NCAA tournament. Again, the last month of the year where he shot 44% from three. Um, then you start to say, okay, he came on strong after a really slow start. Kind of like Grant Williams in the NBA. He had a slow start, was 0 25 from three in his first year at his first 25 three-point attempts. And now look at him. He's a consistent 40% three-point shooter at the NBA level. Um but yeah, I think the aggressiveness really, like you said, I think that took Josiah's game to the next level. Does he continue to do that this year? And if he does, then I agree with you. I don't, I don't know that there's going to be too much of a drop off from maybe what you got from him down the stretch. It'll be interesting. We've talked, we've already alluded to it multiple times on this podcast. The, the minute allocation for next year is going to be really interesting. It'll work itself out in practices and, and games and stuff, but it, it's just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of interesting combos you could look at for the roster and the lineups for next year for Tennessee on paper. Again, we'll, we'll see once we get to practices, how, you know, a guy like Terry key comes back from his surgery, how he meshes at a, at a power five level. Cause again, he played at Indiana state, which was not in a bad conference, but it's difference playing, you know, really high major programs three or four times a year. It's all of a sudden you're playing 18 games, plus 18 games plus uh, in a season against high major programs. Cause not Tennessee doesn't just play, you know, eight, 18 SEC games and a bunch of rest of scrubs. They would just, as of uh, Wednesday night, Gene, I think Jeff Goodman tweeted out that Tennessee's and the, the Barclays and their team they're facing is Maryland. You've also always, it seems like Tennessee and Gonzaga always play Tennessee, Kansas always play. You had the big 12 SEC challenge. I've already forgotten some of the guys, some of the teams, Tennessee or some of the early season tournaments Tennessee's matched up with this year, but you know, it's not just 18 games, it's 22, 23, 24 games against high major opponents that you are going to be playing year in, you know, every, or this this season upcoming, excuse me. So how does Key adjust to that? Julian Phillips, the transition from high school to college. You know, there's there's a lot of different things that, you know, it may look good on paper, but just because it looks good on paper doesn't always mean it translates into uh, reality. Because look at Brandon Huntley Hatfield, he looked good on paper, it didn't translate as well uh, in reality. Again, maybe he, you know, it translates better for him at Louisville. We'll see. But uh, Gene, kind of the last thing here before we get going. First of all, I want to uh, say congratulations to Grant Williams and the Celtics. My Celtics, Gene, for getting to the NBA Finals. Grant didn't have quite as a, a eye-catching performance in Game 7 against the Heat like he did against Game 7 against the Bucks, but he still uh, went out there and looked pretty solid in Game 7. And he seems like he just he steps up in Game 7s. He's had two really good Game 7s for Boston, and he was a, he really helped them. He wasn't the main reason they won that game against the Heat, but he, he did help them. He had some key moments there 
uh, some key shots and some key defensive plays as well that really helped spur Boston on to the finals. So pretty cool to see Grant Williams go play in the NBA finals. I, the only one I can remember in recent memory of a Tennessee player winning an NBA title was Jordan McCray with the Cavs. And I don't think he played any minutes in that finals. I think he just was on the roster, but I mean, he is a ring. So, hey, he, he can show people his NBA championship ring, but he won one. But in terms of guys that actually like played in it and, and had a role um, in an NBA finals, I'm struggling to think of one gene am i like am i just forgetting someone because i know bernard king didn't get one alan houston didn't get one unless again unless it was a case of another jordan mccray that was just kind of on the roster i can't think of someone who actually had a role and like played minutes in, in every game of the finals that were on a finals team that was a vol because there just hasn't been that many vols that have been on really good teams in the nba unfortunately um, that's again, unless I'm forgetting somebody and you happen to know of, um, which I don't know if you would, but before you get into other stuff, I, I just want to throw that to you. Cause I, I can't think of one besides McCray in the last 20, 30 years that was on a NBA finals roster. Um, I can't, yeah, I, can't I, I can't really, yeah, it, it's, um, like I'm trying to remember, uh, the last one was Allen Houston in 1999. Oh, did, was um, he on a row? Wow. Yeah, that Knicks team that was an eight seed. He was like oh, starting. Oh, right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like that was the, that was the team that wow. I think got beat by the got beat by the Spurs. Um, you know, it's interesting. Quick, quick side note to you know to completely uh, to close the Josiah loop. Weird stat: The kid has taken more threes than twos in his career, and in two of his three years in Knoxville. I, I just—that's hmm. just his last two seasons included, which is just kind of just jarring to me. Um, but uh, but anyways, um, yeah. I mean, it's just not. Maybe this speaks towards. Maybe you hope this is good towards the future, but like the trying to not get yelled at by Tennessee Twitter. Um, <laughs> they're not like the guys that are going to the pros aren't exactly pro guys. Like they may have some pro characteristics, but if you look like Jordan Bone. Like Admiral Schofield, like, you know, even, you know, Grant was too good to fail. It's because, you know, obviously he developed a part of his game. If, look, if Grant had developed a three and he was the same player he was in Tennessee, he would not be in the league right now. Yes. That's a fact. Mm -hmm. It's a fact. That's just truth. I think he's kind of spoke some of that, too. Um, like, keep going. Uh, the two kids, Johnson and Springer. Like they're like they're yeah I understand they have like the the star ranking coming out of high school, but like they're not NBA ready guys immediately. They may get there. I mean, and obviously you you certainly think they can. I mean, heck, look no further than the team that the Celtics are playing tonight with Jordan Poole, who was a G League guy. Um, you know, like I think Kaminga plays and he went he bounced back and forth. Uh, there are other Moses Moody from Arkansas mm, mm -hmm. bounced back and forth. Like those are three guys who have actually done stuff. 
all G League guys. So it's possible. But, like, I don't know. We'll see what happens with Chandler. Uh, with like, dra- I haven't even looked at NBA draft projections and stuff like that. I, I don't know. I, just my assumption is that he's probably anywhere between 20 and 40. That would just be a guess. And, I, and that's based off of nothing. Um, yeah, and probably more closer to like 20 to 35. Uh, 25 to 35, let's say, guessing the size. But so, I mean, to see where Grant is now, like, that's very telling. I mean, and, and the other side of that is, uh, like, this is what fans wanted, man. Like, you want you want to feel relevant? You know, Grant makes you relevant. Now, you got to build on that. Because even, you know, like, Kentucky has bad teams recently. Obviously, this past season was a good season, but the year before was bad. But two years before that, I mean, you look. Look at the NBA Finals in the bubble. That Bam Adebayo and Tyler Hero were out there making plays. Like, that's where you want to get. You've got one of those guys right now. Is there a second one coming, or is Tennessee, are they just getting really good players who will develop and figure some stuff out and, um, and be good? Because, look, man, I keep, I'll always say, I, I look, look at some of Josiah's metrics and comparing with Draymond Green now in the league. He may not be, and this is no knock on Josiah, but he's not the defender in terms of like just being a quarterback that Draymond is. Better perimeter defender, not as good post. But just like, could that be the next guy? Because Draymond was like a four-year guy. Mm-hmm. Josiah can be that too. And it sounds stupid, and obviously we make all the comparisons. Like, I, you know, just looking at numbers, I was making the Jalen Brunson comparison a couple of years ago simply based off numbers and nothing else. But guess what? Josiah is not that. <laughs> Josiah is not a bull in a china shop. But he's a really good player. And I think at the next level, he could be one of those guys because he has the size. Um, he could do some of those Draymond things that obviously doesn't look the same. Um, he can shoot better than Ben Simmons. He can play, you know, kind of that sort of style. Like maybe he's your next sort of guy to where, and I think Grant is, what Grant's doing, I think, is really is going to be great for a guy like Josiah. Because he's showing as everybody get you know gets enamored with like the eighteen year old kids who you know go to the league and flame out two years later because they were never ready. And I understand the G League's a better is is better for these kids now and it exists for these kids now. But you know, Grant comes in, spends three years in college. He's young when he gets there. Gets to college, he grows for three years. He develops. He goes to the league, you know, and, and really kind of develops his game. Uh, in the pros. And like Draymond's another example of that multi-year guy. So I think you're going to start seeing NBA teams start taking more chances on kids who aren't 17, 18 years old because these are investments. And these owners, they love their money. I'm not going to invest on a kid who I, I, I may never see. There may not, There may never be an ROI there. I'm going to need to see some of that money coming back. And so a kid like Josiah gives you a chance to do that. 
And so that's why I think somebody's success like Grant could be really beneficial for a kid like that, like Josiah, who is still developing as a player, who we still may not have seen his best. Let's be clear. Mm-hmm. Like he's got some, uh, unfortunately, he's got some admiral tendencies in terms of his shot selection. Because he's got the size and build to be a lot more aggressive in getting to the basket, but they never seem to. They prefer to shoot fadeaways and you know mid-range jump shots, and that's fine. But like that's also there's also truth there. <laughs> like whether we like it or not, like there's just a level of truth there. Um, but but I mean, like you're looking at a kid who has all the metrics and he has the the athleticism. More athletic than I mean, more athletic than Admiral. Probably a better ball handler than Admiral. And look, last time I checked, Admiral's still getting NBA paychecks. Mm-hmm. They may say G League, they may say Orlando Magic. They would name horrible name hor- whatever the horrible NBA franchise is. OKC, I'm looking at you. <laughs> Washington Wizards a couple years ago where he got drafted. Orlando Magic, whoever they are. Houston Rockets will probably be next on this list. But look, I mean, and I don't say, I mean, I'm saying to be honest, like, look, like he's still get he's still collecting NBA paychecks. And we can we can laugh, but like he wins there. Because all he needs is it's kind of like AAU basketball. All he's gonna need is like one good sequence of games where he ends up on waivers or something like that and gets picked up by a team who's like average to above average, he does something there. All of a sudden, he's back in the league full time. But look, I think I think Josiah is better than that. And so I think as we as we go forward, and obviously, you know, good luck to your your team tonight because I actually think they're the better team. I just also think that there's an experience factor that may favor the Warriors in the series. Um, Every time, look, man, number 12 is going to be open. <laughs> uh-huh. we, we know that much. Like, I mean, I don't think he's going to be open 18 times like he was in that game seven, you know, for a guy who shot over 40% from three. But he's going to be open. And if he can make some shots, he may end up having a game where he ends up being the hero, especially as he has to play more with, uh, I think, you know, Robert Williams always being in and out of the lineup. Those are good points. Again, I mean, we just focus on Josiah again, but this is another Josiah podcast. Uh, maybe just rename the show. But now you, you made very good points, Gene. Um, I, I agree with a lot of the points you made too. But really quickly to close out this episode, I wanted to touch on uh, the 2023 prospect who committed to Tennessee. Again, we're, this is a 23 cycle. He's a whole year away before he even gets on campus, assuming he sticks with his commitment, which most basketball players do. It's a lot rarer to see um, – more rare? I don't know. To see um, basketball players decommit and flip their commitments like like you see in basketball, or in football, excuse me. Uh, but Cade Phillips, the four-star forward in the 23 class, committed to Tennessee, played down in uh, Jacksonville, Alabama. Uh, Gene, already seen some comparisons to a John Fulkerson from him just because he's a, a 6'9 white boy, but I think he's... And, and Fulkerson was athletic. I, I just think he's a different player than Fulkerson. People are just seeing the white kid who's six, nine and say, no, he's going to be the next Fulkerson. I, I made that joke to a couple of my friends too, but I, I don't think he's going to be John Fulkerson. I think he's a different player, but I also think it's interesting, Gene, that um, it's not just any four-star 
forward that Tennessee picked up and not even any, any four-star forward from Alabama that Tennessee could pick up. He is about as Alabama legacy as you could get. And he's not going to the Crimson Tide. I think they offered him. I just think they, I don't have seen people say he wasn't a take. I don't think it was that he wasn't a take. I just don't think that he had the interest in Alabama. So they stopped recruiting him because they didn't want to keep barking up that tree when they didn't bark and get any results from it. You go back to his grandfather, John Croyle was a all American defensive lineman for Alabama. His mother, Reagan Croyle Phillips was a basketball player for Alabama. His dad, John David Phillips played quarterback for Alabama. His uncle, well, you all probably remember this name, Brody Coyle, uh, played for Alabama and, of course, played in the NFL as well. So he had his grandfather, his mom and dad, and his uncle all not just attended Alabama, but also played sports at Alabama. And he didn't choose the Tide. He wasn't, it not just did not choose a Tide. He chose Tennessee, who I know Tennessee and Alabama aren't as big of rivals in basketball, but three of those relatives played football. Tennessee and Alabama are, I mean, duh huge rivals in football gene i think it, you know i, I don't I, i've watched some of his highlights and stuff again he's a 23 prospect i don't think we'll probably spend a whole lot of time talking about what he can bring to the table because again he's a 23 kid who let's be frank he's not a five star he's not a guy that he, he got attention for sure but he got attention not just because he's a four-star forward but also because of again the lineage he had and he didn't choose alabama like i, I this would be i guess it was i guess maybe you can compare it to Back a few years ago, when in, in football for Tennessee, when when a, a Cade Mays, for example, uh, didn't just decommit from Tennessee, he went to a rival in Georgia. Like th- th- this is kind of that same level of, you know, Cade had family, the, the multiple generations of family who attended and, and played at Tennessee. This is similar to where Cade Phillips again, another Cade. I guess it's funny that two Cades there that, that popped in my head, but Cade Phillips again. I don't know you could be more inundated with Alabama than what Cade Phillips probably had been growing up. And he's a Tennessee. Like that that's just it's it's a very interesting storyline. As long as he sticks with his commitment and comes to Tennessee, I think he will play. I think he'll end up, you know, maybe not as a freshman as much, but I think he will be a guy that plays. It'd be really interesting to see uh when Tennessee takes on Alabama with Cade Phillips in the roster and his his mom and dad out there uh probably decked out in orange, or at least sitting there in the uh the crowd with the Tennessee fans, Gene. Like that's a that's such a really interesting experience. I'm looking forward to the, uh, the Mike Wilson article about it in a couple years. Yeah. Um, I don't know anything about the whole take industry. It does seem like Tennessee style is probably a little more conducive than what Alabama likes to do. I don't, I don't really care. Um, I do find it interesting. I was in, I was in Tuscaloosa about two, three weeks ago for uh, a softball game. And I, I was talking to a guy who said something about, you know, I mentioned to him that I once covered Tennessee basketball. And he was like, man, I think they're about to get one of our guys. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I've heard too. And he was like, man, I, I hope y'all, he's going to make his decision next week. I hope we get him. And I'm thinking to myself, y'all don't really even stand a chance from what I've gathered. Uh, but I, I guess until the last minute, like they were still thinking that like there, there was a shot and, like I mean, obviously, it's not everybody you know monitors recruiting and things of that nature. They just hear you know legacy kid from Alabama, just want to go to Alabama. But um, yeah, man, kid has such be a really nice player, really nice piece. Um, you know, you watch some of his game, like you know, he's kind of aggressive. I mean, he's trying to, you know, I think he has a he has a a skill to his game. It's not like everything is you know dunk 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 dunk. But I do think that 
you're talking about a guy who has the potential of coming in and maybe contributing in his career. I don't really necessarily have a, a proper comparison for him. I understand it's really easy to go the Fulkerson route for mm-hmm. free. I, I don't know why you would go the Fulkerson route unless there's just one thing that seems to stand out about both him and John Fulkerson. Um, which apparently there there obviously is one thing that stands out about that about the two of them, but like I don't know, man. Like it, like maybe there's some more, like maybe there's some Olivier there in what he does. I mean, like it, it's not like it, it's not it's not overly polished. It's good, but like I said, it's not polished necessarily. Um, like I don't know where that fits. I don't know how he fits. But anytime you can bring in a six nine kid who's a good basketball player, uh, it, it certainly holds well for your future. And I mean, t- Tennessee—I don't think they're losing any bigs, right? You always expect to lose one or something. Yeah. But yeah, is Urosh is finally gone? Or no? From from a graduation perspective, both the VA and Urosh um, are believe can return for the twenty three twenty four season. One of those guys will transfer, um, but. Yeah, I mean, like you, you're you're always trying to replenish the roster, and look, if you couldn't, you obviously couldn't necessarily find a big that you were enamored with from the portal uh, this signing class. So go ahead and bring one in that could maybe uh, develop that you could develop, you know, next season. And and it, if you do have two seniors in Eurosh and Olivier there. And then you've got a what would be a junior in uh, Tomba. I'm sorry, not Tomba. Where did Tomba come from? Jonas. <laughs> then yeah, that's definitely not. Uh, then, then like that helps you stagger stagger that position in recruiting, which I think is really good uh, because that kid can maybe come in redshirt for a year and learn, battle and practice, and then you know in 24, uh, the 24 25 season, he's ready to contribute. No, good points. Again, well, I'm sure I'll talk about him more in the future. Uh, but again, 23 kid who I committed probably around the same time BJ Edwards committed last year because Edwards was a, we talked about him committing as a 22 prospect, uh, I believe in the summer of last year. So again, he stayed committed to Tennessee for almost the whole year before, um, you know, coming on, or I guess a year early, whatever. But yeah, Cade Phillips getting the uh, 23 class started off right for Tennessee. I guess technically Toby Awaka got the 23 class started off for Tennessee, but again, fully expecting him to reclassify into the 22 class, but that'll be where we're in the podcast. show, wherever you want to call it here again, it's great talking with Eugene. I know it's been a couple weeks, so it was great having you back on here with me to talk some hoops and talk about Tennessee basketball. We'll, we'll hopefully do it again next week and maybe even have a, maybe a mailbag episode that I think there may be still a couple of things we can talk about before um, we go out for a mailbag one for asking you guys for what you want us to talk about, but we, we maybe still do it anyway. Cause I like hearing what you guys want us to talk about and hearing your questions and, answering them on the show. So maybe we'll do a mailbag one next week. If, if you want to go ahead and send us some, you can, if you want to, but it'd be fantastic. Uh, if you guys want to leave us a five-star review on Apple podcast and leave us a five-star review on Spotify, that'd be fantastic as well. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you haven't already and like this video again, share it around and let Vol fans or basketball fans in general know about it because we have plenty of awesome stuff coming for you in the summer and for this upcoming season as well. Signing off for Gene, I am Nathaniel. This has been another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. 
Make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss a new episode. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for more video content and follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Thank you, Vol fans.